and welcome to the Home Lab Show, episode 97, Network Traffic Monitoring and Filting. How are you doing, Jay? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I can't believe we didn't cover this topic in depth before, so I think this is a great topic. It's also where a lot of people want to start. They want to know where all the devices are going. They want to jump into a lot of details on it. We're going to give you some tools for that. But I will tell you, as your career goes on, these are you, you, the pretty dashboards won't matter as much to you. There's something that people get excited about at the beginning. There's reasons to do filtering, but we'll also talk about some of the challenges in filtering. This was like a back and forth discussion that occupied. Jay's like, this is, sounds like a brief topic. 25 minutes later, me and Jay talk about, it. okay, we got to cover this. <laughs> it's, it's, it felt that way, but yeah, we kept talking and talking. I'm like, yeah, okay. So there's a lot to talk about, actually. So there's a lot of aspects to this. We want to make sure we give you some tools. We'll definitely be talking about open source tools um, and all that fun too. So this is stuff that's very accessible to any of you uh, watching this. You can be able to get a grip on this, play with these tools, and understand better where the traffic's going, and maybe offer a few tools to help you with filtering it. Filtering is going to be the trickier part, but we'll throw some resources out there for you. Before that, we need to thank a sponsor show, and that's going to be the Akamai Cloud. They have been a sponsor since the beginning, back back when we called them Linode. They were sponsoring us. Yep. <laughs> now we call them Akamai. Uh, they've been great to work with. Uh, me and Jay actually worked recently with them to get some open source stuff talked about in books. I've tweeted out some links about that, but most importantly, they're a great place to host things you might want in the cloud that you might not want to run on your servers or just because why not run it in theirs? Why not use their marketplace to get things spun up fast and easy? It is a great place to play with things, to put them in the public, great place to you know host your VPNs and all kinds of fun services, or maybe a honeypot. That was that's an episode we haven't done yet either. So oh, that'll be fun. That'll, that'll be, be a fun episode. And you know, yep. a good place to do it is going to be in the public cloud, not on your servers. But we thank them for sponsoring the show. We have an offer code down below to get you signed up for that. And uh let's get started on this. Let's do it. <laughs> um so the feedback was this show. The This is actually someone's feedback is what drove the show. So there's actually not much feedback to talk about uh, today. But the feedback was, you guys haven't done a video on traffic analysis, which, you know, led us down the rabbit hole to bring you uh, this particular show. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't think I have any other feedback to talk about. Uh, did you have anything in your notes on that? No, I don't have anything. Yeah, I didn't see anything else. Um The couple software updates I'd mentioned, it was last week under... Um, beta but close to release this week the unified dream machine 3.0.20 is in full release now uh, so i'll be doing some finally updated videos on it the the highlights of course are their vpn works properly if you just have a normal unified dream machine and i see it properly like they have open vpn and WireGuard now so that's exciting and yesterday the beta dropped so it's kind of close to being released of pfsense plus 2305 so if you're wanting to play with the latest beta they're you know the call for testing and i will be answering that call uh you know but i didn't do it last night because i was preoccupied with some other stuff but i will be playing with some updating my uh my firewall at least probably at my office here and one of my lab ones over to the 2305 beta so i can poke at it see what bugs uh rattle out of it but uh, feel free to poke at it and you know use those boot environments so you can just roll back if you need to <laughs> if it all goes wrong <laughs> Uh, I seen I seen a comment in the chat, and they're not wrong. Management loves dashboards. If you can create dashboards yeah. that, um, especially pew pew maps, if you work in security, that's going to make management really think you're working. So just just keep those up. Put them up on big displays, like six monitors around you, because that's how every you know hacker movie looks, and every inside looks like. Oh yeah, we got to have all these screens around us, man. That's what that's what impresses the people. 
Or you could just have the Hollywood uh, command installed, and then when you're at your desk, just have all these flashy things flying around your screen, and you know nobody will know it's not real. Definitely, app to get install Hollywood. You won't regret it, man. It's going to make you look so much more productive. There's there's our oh, business yeah. tip. That's our business tip we have for everybody. <laughs> oh yeah. Ah, uh, should I kick it off here with the end um, top? Sure, let's go there. All right. So one of the probably the only one that really comes to mind here when it comes to really detailed traffic analysis and being able to get deep into your knowledge of what's going on in your network. And that's going to be the uh, NTOP NG high speed web basis, web based traffic analysis and flow collection. It's got your pretty charts. It does layer seven to be able to monitor this. Now it can run, it's very portable. So they've got all kinds of different ways you can run this from uh, it supports Unix platforms, Linux, BSD, Mac OS. I guess you can run on windows as well, which is interesting. Uh, you can also run this as a Docker and the Docker is kind of clever because when you deploy it through Docker, you just point the last parameter is just pointing at which ethernet port you'd like to monitor. So if you have a system you're running, you go, you know, I just like to do traffic analysis on this, spin up Docker, point it at whatever the main ethernet, is that you want to monitor and just all the data starts flowing in from there because it's doing essentially like a port mirror or a span to be able to pipe all the data in there. It's also popular. I've done videos on it for PFSense because it's a plugin in PFSense. It just gives you a lot of insight. And I always encourage people when they want to start understanding how networks work, how traffic gets routed, what's being routed and what kind of requests are going out there. If you're using PFSense, this is just a great way to dive into it. You're going to get uh, traffic analysis, including criteria such as your IP address, ports, your layer seven applications, the throughput, and it even does the autonomous system numbers. So you can actually see, and it, it you can, in PFSense specifically, it makes it easy because you just drop in your MaxMind IP um, database ID, and you can then get geo information as to where all these pies, all these different applications are going. You can also produce long-term reports over your network segments to kind of summarize where things are going. This way you can do some of that cumulative uh, analysis of going, you know, what goes from here to there? I actually use it to look at things that are going across even my VPN traffic going, you know, what are the things being pulled across here? What are the commonalities? And sometimes you'll find things that are inefficiencies or maybe something not routed in the way you think, or you can look at it to do some analysis of capacity routing and go, hey, I'm going to need a little more uh, pipe here because I'm, you know, this is too much traffic going across over these times. It's just really neat um, software. I, it's, it's hard to believe it's a big open source project like that. Now they do have commercial licensing options for some extended features um, and things like that, but it's just, it's such a slick program uh, to dive into it because it also has layer two support. So you can even get your ARP statistics. So you're going, you know, down at layer two and all the way up to your layer seven stuff here and being able to just capture all that data and then cross reference everything in there. Uh, there's some ways you can create some alerts and things like that. I've never done it too much for any of the alert datas. Mostly I'm doing it just for traffic analysis when I'm trying to figure out what's sucking up a certain amount of bandwidth um, or who in the office is using bandwidth. I have definitely used it for that. Uh, it will <laughs> it will identify the culprit and then let you know what the culprit is doing. And you're like, why does this employee watch so much YouTube at the office <laughs> or Twitch? <laughs> and, uh, it's definitely 
<clears throat> really, really neat tool for that. Um, and it's, you know, like I said, it's free to install on PFSense. So if you're already using something like PFSense, uh, it's one is it is the de facto best tool in PFSense by far to give you that type of analysis. All the other tools that are um, for traffic in P, uh, PFSense just kind of give you very generic, like bandwidth, like it used this many kilobytes with no context around it. So it's not necessarily actionable or helpful. But uh, on top, I'm going to give a shout out to being really good. Now, a little further down the list is going to be uh, Security Onion. Now, I'm not going to dive too deep into it because we did in episode 42 uh, is where mm -hmm. we really dove into Security Onion. It's awesome. It's a really good, if, if you are looking for hands down the best open source security analysis tool, Security Onion is it. It gives you incredibly good threat hunting features. It gives you traffic analysis um, net flow of all the traffic going in and out then it lets you apply rules to it it has an entire reporting suite into it uh, watch that episode because we talk about it for quite a while because there's so much to talk about with security onion it's and it's improved greatly since episode 42 the versions have gone up uh, it's extremely act uh, actively developed and it's by the way used commercially it's free for you to use it is an open source project but it actually is used in businesses i've done consulting uh, where companies have had this internally it's not something we use because it's not designed for outside it as much as designed for internal but you're talking about a fully commercial um competitive product with the big expensive companies out there that's fully open source and can be running your home lab. No problem to uh, dive deep and heavy into every little bit of traffic and then apply security to it. Now, Security Onion is a reporting tool. So I say apply security to it from an analysis standpoint, but not from a active blocking standpoint. That's not what this does. Uh, this is going to be just analysis. If you're looking to actively block, I'll give a shout out to Sarakata and Snort. Once again, um, they're available in PFSense. There's a variation. I believe it's Snort that's in OpenSense, so you can get this. Those are your standard like IDS systems. I believe the OpenSense, and someone can correct me, uh, only has Snort in there, which is fine. I, or only has uh, Sericata in there, which is fine. Sericata is definitely good. They both use similar rule sets uh, for intrusion detection slash intrusion prevention uh, systems. Yeah, Unify actually uses, I believe, Sericata as well. So the Unify does have some of that in there. That's some of your threat prevention, but... Ah, I, I think that falls a little outside of the traffic monitoring, um, but it's a good exercise in understanding that traffic is going on. It's also um, a fun time of false positives because right. that's just people, people always turn it on and go, wait, wait, what, what is it? It's like, is it uh, a false positive? Is it real? I'm like, no, just Google it. You'll see um, it's a lot of false positives you're going to get, especially if you turn it up to monitoring because monitoring encrypted traffic is really, really challenging to do. This is even true for NTOP or any of these traffic analysis tools. They have a lot of things they do based on where the traffic's going to make assumptions, but it's not always going to be 100% accurate. And for like an example of looking at the data going across my VPN, it just shrugs its shoulders because it can't identify it. It says it's TLS encrypted traffic. That's, that's like most of it. It doesn't have any insight into actually where, because they're all private IPs it can't apply the same level of traffic analysis to it. So, um, but definitely, definitely kind of fun to play with uh, and, and dive into learning all of that for sure. Mm -hmm. um, then for blocking on that side of it there, Jay, tell me about Piehole. I think you're more of a Piehole user than me. Yeah, it's just a great thing. And sometimes it's all in how you implement it because you could use PF Blocker and the same list in PF Blocker for using PF Sense. Not everyone is. 
using that, but I am using PFSense and I still use PyHole. Um, I just really like the interface. It's, you know, originally in a, and probably primarily designed for Raspberry Pi, but you don't have to run it on a Raspberry Pi. There's an install script you could run on a Debian VM, which is how I do it. And where I what I like to do is have, you know, basically PyHole in the middle between PFSense and the public internet. So there's this handoff thing where in PFSense or whatever your router is, there's you put in an IP address of the um, upstream DNS server you're, you're subscribed to, whatever that happens to be. But one thing you could do is send the DNS lookups from PFSense to PyHole. And then if, obviously, if it's not internal, PyHole is not going to know about it. Well, it will, but basically it's going to um, look up externally through the external DNS that you add to PyHole. So you kind of have it in the middle, which I think is the best way to do it. And it kind of makes browsing the, on, the internet on phones a lot more bearable because I feel like browsing on mobile devices is one of the worst things that you could ever do because you get the most um, popovers and all these other things. So it kind of helps uh, keep that sane. And I just like the ability to just, you know, say no thank you to um, ads that I'm not trying to see. So it, it's really easy to install. There's an admin interface, uh, very well designed. You just, you generate a password or it generates a password for you when you install it. You log in, you can update the block list, change the settings. And uh, one of the things you have to do is add the trusted networks. I forgot what they call the setting because if you're like me and you have it on a different VLAN than your other devices, then what's mm. going to happen is it's just not going to want to resolve anything because it's a different network. So you have to go in there and allow the subnets that are going to be uh, doing lookups through it. So that's uh, something to keep in mind. But it's really easy to install. You can set it up, uh, set it up on a VM, a uh, Raspberry Pi or whatever you have. And it's uh, just very good for ad filtering. It's probably among the best, if not the best. I, I think one of the challenges they have is they've called it Pi Hole and everyone wants to use right. a Raspberry Pi, but then they go, oh, Raspberry Pis are expensive. They're hard to get. So it's it's really like, I don't know if they should change the name because everyone knows them as that, but it's definitely one of the most popular ad blocking yeah. projects out there for sure. Yeah, and, and it's not uncommon for, you know, Raspberry Pi projects to be installable on Debian because Raspberry Pi OS is, you know, a, a modified Debian. So there's the ability to kind of, you know, uh, make that work. But it's, uh, as far as I know, it seems to be officially supported. So yeah, I agree. The the name kind of pigeonholes it to Raspberry Pi, but that doesn't mean you have to have a Raspberry Pi. Just set up a VM and put it in there. And uh, I, I think that is probably a better way to uh, do it anyway, because you could take an image of it or a snapshot in your hypervisor solution. So if anything happens, you can always restore it. And not that you can't do that on a Raspberry Pi, because you can image the SD card. I always find it a lot easier to snapshot a VM than taking a DD image of an yeah. SD card personally. So I think that having it as a VM, it, it just gives it a little bit more power. Um, same could be said for Home Assistant. Um, at one point, that was heavily used on Raspberry Pi, but they don't have that in the name, so they can, um, you know, be on everything. And people generally don't think of it that way anymore. But there's VM templates for Home Assistant that give you the same capability. Um, yeah. Obviously, Home Assistant has backups built in, but you can snapshot right in your VM solution as well. So there's something to be said about having things in your VM solution to give you that capability. And, and that way, you know, you build your Pi hold, and you don't have to build it again if you. Uh, accidentally break it because let's be honest we're always experimenting with our home lab and breaking things as part of learning so if you break it then it's always good to have a way to get it back especially when it handles dns lookups and nobody can get to the internet um, effectively because it's down so you'll probably uh, like having it as a vm solution yeah and and one of the options i see people mentioning docker but yeah there's i believe there's um 
I think it's going to be through true charts. I don't think it's part of the official ones. Pi hole can be run in your uh, true NAS as well. So you're for your true NAS scale. So that's, you know, definitely um, a nice feature on there as well. Now I'm partial to uh, using PF blocker NV just because it's integrated in to PF sense and you don't have to okay. run anything separate. So, but it actually can use the same feeds as PyHole. So if you have a specific feed or when you're configuring PF Blocker NG, you'll actually notice some of the similar feed names. And that's actually a really nice feature. The way the formatting works for adding these extra feeds and determining what things you want to block, you, you know, there's a standard format they follow, the web URL format <clears throat> where you download and grab them. Uh, and they're parsed easily right into the PF uh, PF blocker just as well. So you can get that. Now, Pihole definitely by comparison has uh, way better reporting, prettier reports. And, but that's what we said at the beginning. Everyone's excited about reports. And then I go, do I want to run a separate service? Maybe you do and you're fine with that. Or maybe you're like me and go, eh, I'm fine just running it all inside of my PF sets. And that's a, uh, it, just a simple way to do it on there. Yeah. I use PF blocker as well, but I use the country blocking I don't host anything company related that that's externally available, you know, when it comes to my home network. So there's no reason for anyone to access my network outside of the United States because I'm the only one that accesses it. And I rarely leave the United States. If I go to Canada or something, or if I take a vacation, I might allow, you know, that country wherever I happen to be. So I, I, I basically use both just not for the same purpose. Other people use, but PF blocker is great for blocking countries that for whatever reason, um, shouldn't have access or shouldn't be able to reach your PF sense or whatever it happens to be. Um, when it comes to a home lab, I mean, your home lab is in your home country. So again, it's not like yeah. you're, you know, you're trying to restrict people from accessing your business. It's just when it comes to your home network, you know, who is supposed to access it, you and maybe a family member or something. But outside of that, um, I don't really feel there's any value in allowing any outside country to your home network, because unless you're in that country, what, what purpose do you have for that country to have access? So that's yeah. also a good way to do it. Yeah, the GOIP blocking feature is just really nice uh, of PF Blocker, because especially if you're opening up any ports to the outside world, you filter anything incoming to the countries that you would expect them to be coming from uh, helps minimize attack surface. Mm -hmm. Now, a couple of DNS services out there. And this is where I see there's some free resources out there. Now, Cloudflare Free has their families, which is 1.1.1.3. So Cloudflare rolled out their DNS a few years back, and then they rolled out their family plan, which is DNS minus the naughty sites. And I thought that was kind of cool that they're uh, offering that. And it, it's so easy to just set up and install because you could just say, hey, and for example, you can do custom DHCP reservations where you say, eh, these computers that the kids are using, let's go ahead and give them 1113. And then you could always write firewall restrictions so they don't query DNS outside of that. Granted, there's some other challenges you may have with DNS over HTTPS, uh, but that's a good one. Now, is um, is cleanbrowsing.org, is that the one you've used, Jay? Yeah, so what I'm using now, I don't know if I will continue using it, though. Uh, one thing I want to mention about the Cloudflare for families, there's um, 1113, which is um, no porn and no malware, but there's also 1112, which is specifically no malware and doesn't block anything else. Um, and, and the reason I bring this up is because if you have, if you're like me and you have your PFSense forward lookups to Pi-hole, then in Pi-hole, you have to set the upstream DNS servers to go you know, outside of that. Um, where do you want the traffic to go uh, to be looked up from? And 1112, I think, is good for a lot of people because um, according to what I've read this morning, 
Um, I haven't implemented it yet, but that one just only goes after malware and blocks nothing else. So, um, and the reason I bring that up is there's a lot of false positives that can happen sometimes. Um, it's happened to me where, you know, one of my kids is like, why can't I access the site? And it's a lit literally a legitimate website. I have a, I have a kid taking a um, high school class on forensics and serial killers. And yes, there's a <laughs> actual high school class that goes over like serial killers. I, I'm blown away by this. So of course, there's going to be a lot of times where, you know, I need this site, I need this site, and it's legitimate. It, it's absolutely for school use. So, um, but even, you know, um, if you're not in school, there's going to be false positives. So sometimes the 1112 just might be a good default if you want to just have, um, you know, less malware opportunities on your network, but it doesn't block anything else. So that's, um, they kind of give it up leave it up to you which one you want. Do you want to block just the malware or the malware and also the um, adult sites? And you can make that decision. I think that's a really good one. Now, cleanbrowsing.org is the one I use now, but I'm not necessarily saying that it's going to be like my recommended solution because I, I could probably try out the Cloudflare uh, for families and go that direction. Interesting note, they released it on April 1st, and it's not a joke. And <laughs> on, their, our, on their webpage, they say every April 1st, they like to release a uh, product for the general public. Um, and it's not a joke. They literally will give you a new product um, from the, out of their service. And this is one of those. But cleanbrowsing.org is not free, though. Um, you get a little bit more control because you get a dashboard. I was using... Um, I think it was open, yeah, open DNS before that. I don't remember why I switched off of it, but clean browsing has been fine. But again, it's also not free. So, you know, if you're looking for a free solution, Cloudflare for families is probably the best way to go. So that way you don't have to open up your checkbook just to get the um, blocking for that. So, um, yeah. Now, worth noting though, and this is one of those other <clears throat> challenges. Filtering phones is really hard because phone systems don't like your DNS. They like to use no. what they use. Uh, so blocking phones, I'll, I'll throw it out there, is a its own complicated topic that I'm not an expert on, but it's definitely a lot more challenging because the phones will create their own tunnels. Often Google phones do this, like your Android base and your iPhone, uh, similar. They kind of get around this pretty easily. I feel like it, it's fast approaching a situation where if you want to, continue to have this control because the companies don't care about you or your needs, right? They're, they're trying to block everything and they're not trying to, um, you know, basically cater to the parent that wants to know what their kid is up to, even though that's a very valid thing to want to know. I, I feel like we're just fast, fast approaching a situation where we're going to be installing certificates in all of our kids' devices at a certain point, because um, we're, it, it's like this cat and mouse game where we figure out a way like, you know, uh, clean browsing, Cloudflare for families, whatever it is. And then once you have uh, DNS over HTTPS, then you start to lose that. And then that's basically where it's going to go. And this is part of you know, how the conversation evolved last night between Tom and I, because um, you know, even if you do all of this and have all of this perfected, um, you know, you, you look at their look at your kids' Discord. You'll be shocked. Like, like <laughs> I'm get around you right it. now, they they are using Discord for everything that you, they can't get through the uh, proper internet. And even if that goes away, they're going to find another way. So I think by the time kids reach a, around twelve, on average, I think it's a losing battle, <laughs> and it's just going to continue to be that uh, until they're an adult and then they're out of the house or whatever. So yeah, 
Yeah. You have to spend some time actively engaged in it. There's not easy technology solutions for this. A little yeah. bit deeper on the topic of web filtering specifically, we've mentioned all DNS options and Jay brought up those certificates. This is where there's a lot of confusion. And I've done a deep dive on this as a, as a dedicated video about certificate filtering and what needs to be done. Now, this is common in your enterprise environments. And this is where, because traffic's encrypted from the point of your browser, until it reaches the website. So if it's a normal, most websites now, the, it, we've now reached a majority of the websites are going to be using HTTPS. I know there's some exceptions out there, but when they're doing proper encryption, that blinds anything from your browser all the way to the other website. This is where people assume yep. it's within their network and therefore their firewall should have visibility into it. But technically your firewall is just another hop along the journey. Therefore also blind unless you install some type of certificate or have some type of proxy on there. Proxy filtering is what is the most frequently asked about and also a rabbit hole that will lead you back to Screw this, I'm removing it. I don't know anyone yeah. who enjoys using Squid over time or any. Most of the proxy solutions are actually based on Squid, even though they may be part of some commercial product by a large company. Many of them on the back end are all managed by Squid. What they've done is put front end management in front of it to make it easier. Now you can load Squid up as a standalone product or integrate it into many different firewalls, including PFSense, but what you're going to run into is a ton of problems where there's this extra certificate and not everything likes it. It's going to break things. It's also the only way to really see a lot of the traffic. Now, the kind of in between that some of the companies do is SNI filtering so they can see, because before you request a certificate, your browser actually has to go and ask for the website, not just through DNS, but it says, this is the URL I want. So there is some level of filtering. Now, it doesn't know what the subdomains are, but because your browser had to make a request so it knew what certificate to get back. The SNI type filtering is available on some firewalls where they're doing some basics there, but they can go, hey, I can see that website and I can block it. So it's going to vary uh, with some of the firewalls. But once you want full visibility into some of the, maybe, you know, the domain.com slash whatever they're going to, that level of restriction only really comes if you have a full certificate management on there. And that gets, as I said, to be a lot trickier. It's going to be the solution right. for phones, but it's also you have to manage those certificates and uh, it, it's just a little bit more challenging. I feel like if you really want to, you know, for the average family to monitor everything, like, you know, to a almost, you know, perfect level, there's no such thing as perfect. You'll probably be running, if if your family uses Windows, if your kids uses use Windows, for example, like an actual domain controller with group policy on there and, um, you know, automation tools for, you know, computer management. And at some point, you get to a point where you're you're rolling out an entire, you know, enterprise network for a couple of people to monitor their traffic. And it, it does get to be a lot, like, especially when you're talking about certificates and some websites will complain, the fingerprint doesn't match and, and it's going to detect and call it like a man in the middle or something like that, which is technically what it is. It's a, you're creating a man in the middle attack for your kids. That's exactly what you're doing. And, you know, their websites are getting smarter about this. So it's just, um, you know, I've had parents come to me, they're very, annoyed because it's like every time they figure something out then the kid does something else and that's kind of how it works you know like i brought up discord i mean what other apps are they using that you know they're they're using outside of the normal use case so um like like i said when you get to be about 12 it's harder to it's gets gets a lot harder to uh keep this going yeah
Um, someone mentioned earlier, and I'll give it a shout out for anyone that's not aware of it. I've not used it, but I've seen a lot of people that talk about this. And it's a tool called Unify Polar. Uh, I think it's unpoller.com. So unpolar.com, or you could search the, for the Unify Polar. It's it's an integration project that offers Grafana um, beautiful charts that tie to your P, uh, Unify system. So it's a it's a pretty slick system. So I won't leave the Unify people uh, out on this because you know I mentioned OpenSense and PFSense, which has a lot of this built in. But if you're using Unify and you want some of those pretty graphs, because Unify has some graphs but they're not very actionable because they lack proper time series data. So there's other ways you can get data out so you can do traffic monitoring with your uh, Unify uh, firewall. I've not run it, so I can't really speak to the uh, project. I'm aware of it. it. They have a website with some instructions how to set it up and how to get started on there. I've seen a few people ask me about it. I just don't use enough of the Unify um, firewalls to actually take the time to learn it. I just pre don't prefer their firewalls. Although I will be reevaluating re them a little bit more, as I mentioned earlier, now that they finally have normal VPN features. <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, it's about darn time. Um, someone in our chat room, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying not to laugh because I'm sure this is frustrating, honestly, but um, someone said their kid uh, spoofed the printer's MAC address to get around um, the restrictions. And I'm thinking to myself, um, your kid is probably going to have a great career in ethical <laughs> hacking. And I would highly recommend, <laughs> you know, just buying a security course or something, because if they're doing that or at this point, I mean, they're, they're we know where their career is going, I think, at this point. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's beyond what most kids do, I think. Yeah, that's now 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 you can start getting into the next topic of security of locking things down, doing port level security, um, right. using stuff like ARP watch on PF sense to see what's changing on the network or what's getting spoofed by. <laughs> Wait a minute. There's two of these printers all of a sudden. <laughs> and they're just going to use their phone to tether anyway. So, yeah. So <laughs> there's. Oh yeah, or it's or if they um, hack hack the printer to become a bridge device, so it's still all the traffic does come from the printer. Still, it's just bridged instead. There's actually um, there's a security hack with some HPs like that that had dual network cards. You could there's a hack to put it in bridge mode essentially because someone pivoted yeah. into side of a network. The Wi-Fi beacon on an HP printer pivoted to the hardware uh, Ethernet, got onto the network by bridging it. I was like, oh. That's a clever hack. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of those. And I feel like, you know, spoofing Mac addresses as an adolescent, I mean, that is a brilliant kid. And I yep. think um, that that's just, um, you know, I know it's frustrating and I'm really trying not to laugh because I know like that's a, you know, could be a really annoying situation <laughs> for parents to deal with. But, you know, I, I think you could probably rest easy knowing that they have a career path ahead of them. That's uh, quite profitable. Yep. Yep, definitely fun. But hopefully we've uh, left you with a few insights onto some of the different things you can do out there and things you can test yep. and play with, including the, um, the like, check out NTOP. I mean, that's just, a, even on standalone, it's a pretty cool thing to get you a lot of analysis. Check out episode 42 on Security Onion, because boy, that's a, it, it sounds like the person could probably use Security Onion to help track their kids. <laughs> <laughs> the threats coming from inside the house. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is just, I'm, I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised at the same yeah. time. I, I feel like, you know, I, when I was 12, I was trying to uh, max out every character in final fantasy six. And that was the thing I was the most concerned about. Um, and nowadays, you know, we have kids that are doing things that some 20 year olds working in the industry still don't know how to do. Uh, that's pretty, yeah. pretty crazy. But 
Jay's still trying to max out his characters in Final Fantasy. Oh, no, I do it every every playthrough, like once a year at this point. So some things never change, right? I mean, it's it's a great game, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the game still is good. So, well, thank you, everyone, for joining. This is fun. This is great. Uh, If you have questions, comments, concerns, feedback at thehomelab.show. We love hearing from you. And uh, see you next week. See you again.